Hello and welcome to episode 48 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia Magazine's ongoing quest to answer the unanswerable question, just what is it that draws people to this infuriating game? On this episode, we're going to meet someone whose impact on the game has been far greater than their profile in the public eye. Ian Triggs is one of the best golf coaches, not just in Australia, but the world, and has counted among his students the winners of some of the biggest prizes in the game. Curry Webb, Say Your New, John Sendon, and in recent years, Elvis Smiley are just some of the names Triggs has worked with. But unlike many of his coaching brethren, you won't find Triggs trying to build a business empire around his success. With five children and 12 grandchildren, his life more resembles a daycare centre than a jet-setting golf coach, and that's just the way that Triggs likes it. I caught up with Ian at a suburban Brisbane cafe recently, which explains some of the clanking cutlery and passing traffic that you can hear in the background. But I do urge you to focus not on that, but on what Ian has to say, because out of the ashes of his own derailed golf career come lessons for every golfer, no matter what level you play at. Well, Ian Triggs, the clue's in the title. The thing about golf. What's the thing about golf for Ian Triggs? Nowadays, it's certainly about uh, giving back. I really feel as though that, you know, through my career, I've learnt a heck of a lot, been through a lot of dry gullies and, and uh, good ones, and, and hopefully uh, I can impart uh, the knowledge gained to um, a lot of the young players of today. Let's talk a little bit about that. We'll come to what you've been doing in the game for the last, I guess, mm. 15 or 20 years. That's mm-hmm. about it. Way back when it started, how mm. did you come to golf? Um, my father, very good sportsman, played in high-level rugby league, actually went to Manly. but I Manly came in Sydney? In Sydney, right. yes. So, And basically I came along and that was the end of that. So uh, <laughs> You fixed that for him? <laughs> yes, so he, he, he headed back home to Grafton where he um, went back into the meat industry and then Dad then took up golf uh, very quite late in life and he took him two years to get to scratch. Wow. So very, very talented athlete. Basically, I was caddying for dad and next minute out in the backyard and um, we had a bigger than a backyard because we were based at the abattoirs in Bundaberg, chipping plenty of room, hit down between the wood stacks. And so, yeah, I started golf at the age of uh, 12. Real golf, not this, not this manicured fairways and no, 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 pyramids of golf balls. No. Golf, <laughs> whack them, go find them, and uh, that's right. Down amongst the, you know, all the wood stacks had snakes, and <clears throat> it was always a quite a dangerous um, <clears throat> thing going to collect the golf balls. But, keep uh, you on your toes, wasn't yes. it? <laughs> <laughs> like this other athletics. Yes. Well. You mentioned Grafton at the start there, which is mm. sort of country New South Wales. No, you moved from there up to Thunderbird. Yes. Well, Dad went to Toowoomba. Uh, he was there as the second in charge of the the meatworks. Uh, in Toowoomba and then from there up to Bundaberg is in charge of the meatworks there for 41 years. Mm. So chipped and whatnot around the backyard. When did you first have your first taste of actual golf? The course and scores and all of those other things aside from just the hitting of the ball. Yeah, I got into a little nine-hole competition at Bundaberg Golf Club. The pro then was Leo Corrie and we used to have a little tiny clinic and go and play nine holes. I can remember having the three, five, seven, nine and a, and a three wooden a putter and away we went. Something to be mm. said for that as a coach is there. We absolutely. don't do that anymore. Absolutely, do absolutely. You I'm should. That a bit like yes, that. okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So started there and, of course, at that stage, Bundaberg Golf Club didn't allow juniors. So even though we had that little nine-hole comp, we couldn't join the club. And his daughter, Gail Corrie, became Australian amateur champion okay. out of Bagara Golf Club. So my whole... Amateur career was with Bagara. What impact does that have on somebody so young when somebody else at the club, a fellow member, has a success like that? We see with players, don't we? Mm. Um, My word. 
somebody they've played with regularly wins something, and that's yeah. that message that, well, if they can do it, I can beat them. So yeah. they can do it, I can do it. Yeah, so it was really good because you had an Australian champion within the club at Bagara, and basically that really, you know, um, you could see it there. Her name was all over the honour boards, and it really made you chase it. So it benchmarks something too, doesn't it, Ian, for my work. particularly young kids from like a rural area. You don't mm. know how good you are. Just because you're yep. the best in the club, yes. you might be the best in the world, but you yep. might only be the best of the club. You can't know, can you, until no, you've... No, totally, until you get in the deep end, yes. Until you get to the next levels, the, yes. The next mm. level of golf looks like. Mm. So I imagine at that time your thoughts would have been as a player. Yes, I really loved the game. I really enjoyed playing a lot and... Um, practicing and, and all the other aspects Practicing everything, of yes. I used to... Us being fortunate having at the, our home uh, next to the meatworks having room to chip across the fence mum would be hanging out clothes on the line at five in the morning and I'd be hitting her in the ankles with chips and what have you and uh, so yeah so I was very fortunate to have that as too I didn't have to get to a golf course to hit golf balls dad set up some nets and things and so yeah I was uh, and dad was my primary coach he really uh, he was reading Hogan's fundamentals and so so basically he was doing that and but being very creative with my learning getting me to shape shots and so not a great deal of technique just the basics but very smart man in in being involved in just what you're going to do with the ball was one of the more highly regarded coaches of the year how do you rate his coaching looking back of you yeah, well, Dad got me to plus plus three. So, so at fifteen plus years, three meant something. Plus three, at fifteen years of age. You know, very creative with the ball flight. Wow, I can't believe how good a coach he was. Yeah, mm. is that a natural aptitude? Are you born with that, or? Um, I just think that through Dad's experience with you know, uh, you know, he's into tennis, football, rugby league, like I mentioned, and everything else that he had a real understanding of what games and sport was about okay. so yeah that he, other stuff that's not necessarily mm, about the technique but more what you've got to do yes to achieve to, to achieve well yeah. yeah so he was uh in tune with that yeah important mm. lessons and where did it unfold then from you what were the options at that time in terms of if you wanted to be a player well i mean i basically my love of the game was so much that you know i said to dad i want to be a professional and and you know in and back then in Sort of sixty, uh, in the sixties, it was sort of not thought of that you would actually become a professional golfer. That would, touring professional was still a fairly new thing and really an overseas thing, wasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, mum and dad supported me entirely. Said, "Yeah, we'll go for it." You know, rather than me going down the academic route. Um, yes, I finished senior, but then I was basically, you know, I was really chasing being a being a professional. Hmm. If I'm not mistaken, you would have had to go through the club pro ranks at that time. To had to do to a three-year traineeship. Had to do your traineeship. Yes, yeah. had to do a traineeship. But, yeah, I was. I didn't turn pro until I was 21. So my career really hit the wall at about 19 years of age and I couldn't I couldn't find my way back out of it at that stage. What do you mm. mean hit the wall? Well, uh, I reckon I was, uh, you know, I was, as a young guy, plus three, plus four marker. And then by the time I decided to turn pro, I was sort of, um, you know, I'd probably gone out to a handicap of, Two, so I lost my way. That's an um, enormous difference. What mm, happened? Yeah, basically, you know, probably my perfectionism, getting involved in state teams and things that I received, you know, information technique with and combined with my perfectionism, probably 
went down a pretty poor track technically, overdid things. You've been good enough to make a state team. Then when you get there, there's coaches and others around who will then tell mm. you you need to do this and yes. this and this differently. Yes, yes. There's a real lot of dangers in that. There's a prime case of it, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Mm. What does that sort of do to you then? There's two ways you can go if that happens. I assume fairly early on you sort of realise, well, the playing's probably not going to happen. You either walk away from the game or you find a different path. You obviously chose the different path. Was that an option at any point to walk away? I walked away. I did walk away. I walked away uh, probably at the age of probably 22 after I'd finished my traineeship. It's devastating, Ian. Yes, I was was pretty devastated because I was a very good player. I played number one for Queensland. I was captain of the team. I had people like Greg Norman behind me in the team. So I could really play. Then the career really took a a really sharp twist the other way. The last interstate series I played, playing number one for the state, I won one match, whereas the years before I was winning every match and beating players like Roger Davis and... um, and Michael Carl, who was Australian amateur champ and became an you know, Australian PGA champion as well. So, yeah, my career as a player really took a sharp smack in the mouth. Do you yeah. remember something specific happening? Well, I think it's just a combination of, you know, I think the technique back then was fairly average. We basically listened to what players wrote and felt. We didn't actually have a manual of ideals that should be coached in golf. Um, and it still goes on a bit today. You still, but we're a lot more worldly now. We've actually been able to go through and pull all different swings to bits and understand why they work. Whereas in those days, there was, you know, drive your legs, high hand finish, you know, flat left wrist, all sorts of things that were, um, you know, keep the head still, keep the left arm straight, all this sort of stuff that was actual, you know, push towards sort of everybody, where in actual fact, you can't do that. You need to teach the individual and understand, you know, what their movement and everything is going to produce so that you can blend that individual and not, not interfere with their natural fingerprint and talent. At various times in golf's history, there's been beliefs about the way to swing the club. Absolutely. Is yeah. that what you're talking about? And and are we now, mm-hmm. do we now know that there is no the way to swing the club? Absolutely. There is no way to swing the club it belongs to the individual every one of us is a different size different length arms every everyone's different and you you can still play the game with uh, extremes within the pattern as long as that extreme matches the ball flight that players wants to play with and once you start messing with it you destroy the reference system of that individual especially if they've started at a young age and they have this it's the way they walk so you go in there and put a model in place that actually may suit the the so is what we've discovered then Ian, that there is actually no the way to swing yes that, that's the truth there is no the way to swing basically um there's a there's an ideal model that we should look at and see why the ideal model works but there's so many different ways of being close to the model um to still produce uh, ideal outcome for that individual and basically they'll all play with slightly different flights and there's so many different ways of producing that flight hmm. we'll come back to this a bit later but I'll, i'm going to plant the seed now and i'll get you to answer the question a bit later how much of success in golf is the golf swing physically versus other factors as part of other factors i'll get you to 
ruminate on that for a bit because I want to come back to your story. But that's a question that I'd like to sort of answer because mm. mm. I wonder sometimes if the better you get as a player, the more importance you place on the swing. And to, is there a point where you place too much importance on the physical action compared to some others? So I'll get your thoughts on that a bit later. But I want to come back to you. So at 22, you'd had this devastating realisation mm. of, mm. so what did you do? Um, I bought a milk run. <laughs> Course. As you do. What was I thinking? <laughs> in Bundaberg? No, 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 no. Here in Brisbane. So, okay. um, yeah, bought the milk run and um, got out there and got dreadfully fit. <laughs> it was actually a run back in those days too, wasn't yeah, it? It was an actual run. What were your feelings about the game? Were you bitter towards the game at that time? Um, no, I never – I don't think I ever got bitter. I, I was very, you know, very disappointed, very um, – couldn't believe where I'd finished up compared to where I was, you know, probably five, six years beforehand. So it was quite quite a rude awakening, um, you know, course records and stuff everywhere and, uh, yeah, lots of success with the game um, as an amateur and um, and a few few good results as a pro in one-day events. But, you know, combination of uh, where I was technically and combination of my perfectionism, combination of losing my confidence entirely... Uh, just, just totally destroyed me. So, yeah, I was, I was still, still thinking about it all the time, even though I'm doing the milk run for a couple of years. Mm. And when you say you were thinking, were you thinking of making a comeback or finding just something else in golf to still be near the game? Well, I just said to myself one day, I was out in the run, midnight running around. <laughs> Good time to think, actually. It's probably not a bad job. The <laughs> only annoying thing out there is dogs. Yeah. But, uh, yes. But, uh, eventually, if it, I'm going back. I'm going to find out why. That's what I, I set upon from that, from the failure that I, I wanted to go back and find out why. And, uh, you know, by the time I'd reached 35, I'd actually found the answers, um, both technically and mentally, what had happened. And sort of then I felt as though I was on a mission not to allow any other people to go down that track. <laughs> That's the sort of, sort of thinking that I had. So you've mm. kind of answered in a way one of my questions, which was going to be what draws <laughs> you then to coaching. So mm. it's to sort of stop this from happening. Was, what was the realisation you came to? So you're running around at midnight and you think I mm. need to get back to the game. Mm. What did you do? Buy the – what's the book that I'm thinking of? Um, the Crazy Homer Kelly book, <laughs> the, the golfing <laughs> machine. Did you go down that path? Did you read everything? And no, I, re- I really didn't. I just um, – um, being being very fortunate married to a physio, I certainly went and – talk with Sue and my wife about, you know, what should be going on physically and... Um, was there much of that happening at the time? It's very common in golf these days. They no, build the players' bodies, don't they, from yes, a young age just totally, to play totally. golf. That certainly wasn't the case. No, not back then. And we, actual fact, myself and Michael Dalgleish started uh, in 1980. We started that sort of process probably throughout the country. We had kids from Kelvin Grove that were very successful. We won the world title two years in a row. The Kelvin Grove High School, it's St Andrews they won, okay. and so we were doing a lot of the physical profiling and uh, adding the, the technique to it. So we got to a stage where I could sit opposite the table with Michael and he'd say, you know, the, the traps are firing too much, this is going on, that's going on, and I'd say, well, if that's happening, this will be happening in the golf swing. So we were starting to recognise the facts of how the the technical was very much affected by the physical, and so we, we went down that that track very much with the Kelvin Grove High School. We had a, a very much a very broad thing that was going on. And then we had Ross Herbert come up from the AIS 
and he was watching our program and seeing what we were doing and that pretty much started that whole scenario of, uh, of profiling athletes and, and seeing what patterns are produced. That's why. That's mm. right on the cutting edge in the beginning of what we see now. It's mm. commonplace in top My of word. Craft, isn't it? Absolutely. What was it like to be a part of that? Did you know that you were doing something special at the time or was there a possibility you were going down all the wrong rabbit holes here? No, we, I, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it was very interesting. It was something was really showing up things about why certain aspects were happening and so it was exciting. I mean, we got the, the balance of the body better for the younger guys. Uh, we could see the, the improvement in their ball striking and everything. So it was a really a, a real great time for, for coaching. Time. Exciting Imagine time. You're it seeing really was. results like mm. that. Were there skeptics mm. in? There must have been skeptics. Yes, well, there was. You know, the, the, you know back in those days, uh, the, the pattern was you had to, you know, the pattern was into out. You had to drive your legs and the path worked into out. And then when we started to, getting some quieter aspects of happening in the golf swing and the swing was working more in to in in its path and the face was not being closed as much um, because of the excess of the other path. You know, I was called a radical coach for a while. and um, How did that sit with you? I felt pretty happy because she was kept <laughs> – she went to Rachel Hetherington, one of my favourite students who I started with at a very young age, went to New Zealand and won it was – Headline, you know, uh, player with radical swing wins New Zealand Open. You're going, <laughs> you're kidding me, aren't you? So yeah, so it was, it was certainly very different. At that, that wouldn't stage. sit comfortably necessarily with everybody, I'd imagine. No, you would have no, been getting no. a lot of quite well-respected people telling you, yeah, you're ruining careers. You're doing, da- it's dangerous what you're teaching these young people. Yeah, very, very much so. That was going on. I mean, and and, and Ledbetter was going well in the states at that stage. He'd certainly. Um, you know, made some noises over there and in regard to the, the model of the swing that we should be sort of getting close to. Yeah, so it was an, it was an interesting time. Yeah. In hindsight, where did those misconceptions come from? Are they So, for example, Weisskopf, Miller, Nicholas, I think about that sort of thing. Were they kind of outliers in being able to produce You'll that see- action and produce that ball? Yeah, well, you, had, you had a guy like Weisskopf who swung it so good. I think America was... A little ahead of where we were, even though, you know, there's still very much players in America. They were, they were, they were still weren't as technical as probably what we were Scores in the there's, there's, there's so many score, players that it's all about the scoring number. up there, yeah, okay. in America, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I think that here we, as a smaller nation, we really had to, um, you know, help refine the patterns of our youngsters to be able to compete compete uh, more we only had a handful whereas America's got thousands uh, that are competing but I think that and that's why the the uh, VIS with Stevie Ban and those guys was so successful because they did such a great job with their coaching in that era because they had only a handful of students that they could put great energy and great information into and we got great results with Appleby and LMB and those sorts of dudes you know that, that became very good players yeah Mm. Those pathways then started to establish, didn't they? Mm, what, my word. What those players did mm. on the back of that coaching yes, set the yes. pathway for players that we still see today. My word, uh, yes. They sort of understand those things. Mm. For you, mm. were you doing all of this? And I imagine at this time it's just a journey of discovery. Some of what you oh, learn's not going to be right. Some's going to be fantastic. Yes. Mm. Did you project forward at that time and think about where this might go and what it might be about? What was your um, – or did you just roll with this great adventure that you were on? Yeah, pretty much just – 
just rolled along. I mean, I was doing also doing work with. I went and uh, did some work with Dr. Noel Blundell, who um, really helped give another perspective in the thing. So I was looking both. Um, you know, psychologist. Yes, sports yeah, psychologist. Sports psychologist. Both. A very good one too. Yes, he is. Yes. So basically, he was doing work in the physical and the in the mental areas, and really getting a good understanding. And I had a couple of young guys, young fellow pros who were very good. Ken Burnt, exceptional. In, in understanding technique and um, um, so you know I was very fortunate I had some really good information coming in and and uh, being able to keep you know, keep refining the patterns and that my time teachings. Mm. was the thinking that the coach's job was to work purely with the physical were you stepping outside the norm for example by working with Noel yeah, I probably was. Um, I never looked at it that way, but um, you know, I used to go to the tournaments and watch him work on the range. I was there with the tournament that Roger Davis won when he won the uh, Centennial. Oh, what an event that was! An incredible what a win event. for him. Yes. Yeah, if you story. seen Roger on the first day on the Monday in the practice round, he could hardly take the putter back. Really? Yes. And I watched. going to be upset with you for telling us that? No, I don't think so. I think he'd be quite proud of being able to beat Freddie Couples with that putt at the last. But to think that he could actually, at the end of a week on a Sunday, on those slick greens at Royal, hold that putt across that green to win was like mind boggling to me to see that the work that Noel did and the simplicity of what he was doing to get Roger in the right place was like, wow. You know, so. I, you know, I was lucky enough to be walking with him and watching. And Was that and a realisation for you? As I mean, as a physical coach, for want of a better term. My word. You're thinking, well, yes. we'll fix his hands on the club and that'll Absol- get it to him absolutely. and then it'll be fine. But in fact, that must have been a revelation for you. That It was because we'd be walking around and Noel would go, this guy's about to hit a poor shot. And I'd go, what? You know, and lo and behold, bingo, the guy would hit a poor shot. So I said, what are you watching, Noel? He said, I'm watching body language. I'm watching eyes i'm watching you know how the athlete's looking comfortable or not and i can see that his thoughts are in the wrong places and i was going oh wow i've got a lot to learn here about body language and that sort of stuff so yeah you you can see how fortunate i was to actually be around that watching elite athletes and watching noel's perspective of what it what was coming up so, to your credit, to take that on board, though, there are still players today mm, who are mm. sceptical about the value of mm. psychology and sports psychologists yes. and the way you think about the game. So, yes. I'm sure most coaches at that mm. time would have considered it to be well. You were just sort of, what are you doing? You so, know, f- f- fancy hip, you're happy, crazy, happy, hippie, crazy nonsense. Golf's about hitting the ball. Yes. Well, my dad used to say to me, he said, you, "I went to see Noel. And he said, you, you need to get a jacket on. You can't." You, you know. <laughs> I said, one of those white ones? He said, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what it was thought of in those days when Mm. we were young guys. I mean, that was, you know, uh, look, I think in in most areas it can be, you know, there's a balance with everything and certainly some good stuff from that area can really help a player. Mm. Mm. In some ways, I guess this touches back and let's answer that question now on What's the importance? Not that you can put percentages on it, but put some percentages on it for me. How important is the golf swing versus aptitude versus attitude, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm asking here. Yeah, I, I think the whole game is totally mental. I really do. I think it's, Once you get to a level... There's a level of, of a skill development you must have yeah. if you want to compete at the highest level. But once you get to that level, it all becomes totally, um, you know, your discipline in, in behaviour and um, involvement... 
The physical becomes maintenance, doesn't it? You maintain your... Maintain the physical, you maintain the technical, and the rest of it's just you've got to stand up there and deliver. Mm. Is it the case now that you'll deal with some of that as well as the physical, or do players now have separate coaches for sports psychology? It's a tricky area, isn't it? Because a player, obviously, if you're a good player, and Mm. you'll hear good players say this, why would I take advice from him? He can't even beat me. Yes, totally. Yes, well, I think... You know, certainly in my teachings now and my coaching now is basically there's a, a large percentage of the mental aspects going on. You know, I see all the, lot, I got a lot of young, very good young players at the moment. And all the smiley among them, who I think mm, as word. Australian golf fans, yes, have, yes, it's a very he's a very exciting mm, prospect. Yes, so it's quite funny. The other day, he said, "Can you have a look at my chipping?" And I said, "Yeah, of course I can." He said, "You never say anything." <laughs> And I said, uh, hit a couple of chips. Oh, you go, hit that flag over there. You know, it finishes three inches away. Hits another one a foot away. I said, do you want me to say anything? What do you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just send you an invoice. So, you know, he said, oh, w- wow. I said, yeah, well, if, if there was something I felt was not good, but your mental work's great, your involvement's good, you've got your mind in the right place, you've got great feel for what you're doing. I said, if I add any information to that, I'm – going to you know destroy you and that i don't need to do that how hard is it sometimes not to say anything there's almost what i'm doing here with the podcasting Mm. you're terrified of silence if there's Mm. any sort of silence you feel like you need to fill it i imagine sometimes in coaching it must feel the same way i've got to tell this player something that's what they're paying me for yeah absolutely i think that that's so true i think but i think what i try to do nowadays is just to say look you're in a great place you need to be really creative with what you're doing you need to you know hit different shot shapes and Get out in the course and play as much as possible. Learn as much as you can. But I'm not giving you any technical information because I'm happy where you're at. Look, if someone's heading down a track where they're uh, biomechanically unsound and there's going to be chances of injury down the track, well, you need to step up to the plate and warn them of those chances of occurring, And um, which, you know, I never had that knowledge way back. But um, certainly I think that that's a... A thing you need to do as a coach, but so, well, mm. starts to beg the question, doesn't it? What mm. is the role of a coach? In some ways, My it was word. much simpler in the sixties. The coach was the person who said, "Put your hands here and get into this position and do that." Mm. It's My much word. bigger and a little more murky than that these days, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, th- and I think look, I think you've really hit a, a nail there, right? I think a lot of coaches are uncomfortable because basically they were now coaching because they basically had a model before that they trotted out all the time it's parameters it was boundary lines it's quite straightforward yes isn't it? totally but now they go wow they look at dustin johnson swinging the golf club and they go oh, what should i be teaching so it's very difficult if they don't have a, a knowledge in regard to how it works mentally um, and the reference systems that each individual uses then they're going to struggle with their coaching because they're just going to keep putting out stuff that basically interferes with individuals when they try to get rid of the extremes of that pattern. So, As somebody tough. once famously said, if Dustin Johnson had got to a coach sooner, he'd be winning a club championship somewhere. <laughs> they'd, have, Absolutely. They'd, have fi- they'd have fixed his left wrist and he'd be winning a club championship somewhere. That would have been... There is truth to that, though, isn't there? And that's oh, uh, you'd, you'd destroy him in five minutes if you really wanted to. I mean, the guy's laid back and doesn't, you know, doesn't care one little bit. But if you uh, went in there and changed and got that back to, say, an ideal pattern, you've got yourself a club champion, yes. Yeah. Mm. He'd win by a few, but it's still just <laughs> I don't be, know about that. <laughs> a, a club championship. So then, mm. so what is the role of the coach? Are you your mentor, friend, mm. disciplinarian? 
psychologist. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing you're not is the caddy. And the caddy's got to be all those things too, don't they, at the top well, of the caddy, professional golf? Your caddy's got a very important job. They really do have. And and they've got to be careful not to interfere as well. I mean, you've got to, you've got to be able to read the player and know when to say something and when not to. And Which is different for every player. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no, no textbook for that, is there? No, not at all. Yeah. Well, and you've obviously worked with a lot of name players that people will recognise. Mm. Just a little run through of the list of players you've worked with. And how many how many years have you been sort of coaching for? Thirty. Um, you mentioned Rachel Hetherington already. Well, that's already dated things a little bit. <laughs> I covered Rachel Hetherington as a younger yes. man too. Yes. yes. Really, when I first got my first real serious player was Pete Senior. So I coached Peter for for a long time from. Um, the late seventies, uh, right through till, you know, the t- probably t- nearly twenty years of coaching. Very with Peter. Un- unorthodox action, you know, that sort of lifting at impact, sort of looking thing. An extraordinary player, but yeah. Well, Pete, when Pete first started, his, um, you know, his his grip was left hand grip was under the club, very very weak position, and he used to go back and then he'd actually cup it into the top. So his club face in the top was so far open. So on the way down, he he would jump to basically be able to get the club face back to square. Um, and, you know, so at that stage, I never touched anything. I just let him play like that. And, you know, there are a few guys saying, well, why aren't you making some swing change? He was an extraordinary player back then. When Michael Clayton says that when they were juniors, there was Peter Senior, Daylight second and third, and then there were some of the others in the Absolutely. Field. So, you know, in, in, in 78, he won the, the Triple Crown. He just, you know, such a great player, Peter. And... Um, you know, trouble with the putting. So we, had, you know, we had the long putter. Sam Torrance gave him a long putter, and so with uh, with Peter, he then developed wrist, uh, thumb, and wrist problems. So that was the first change we made. We made a grip change to back to close to conventional left hand, and then we started to get uh, his backswing tidied up a, a fair bit. We actually did, did some work there to get it not so much inside and slapping up, and then coming up up the back and. Yeah, so eventually we just did some little work to keep going and keep being creative while he was doing it. Um, and, yeah, we didn't do any damage, even though we had to make some changes because of the physical aspects that were going on. He's been on the podcast too, Pete. What a wonderful oh. gentleman. Yeah, great guy. Ago. Still yes. a professional's professional. My word. Even though yep. he's, he won't like you saying he's kind of retired, but he doesn't want to admit it. No, he's, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he'll never uh, hang <laughs> up. So Pete was probably further. Yeah, I know Pete, you on you and John Sandon. Yes. Harry Webb. Yes. Rachel Hetherington you've mentioned. Yes, yes. Smiley that we yeah. know. And I've um, probably missed a whole bunch in there. Yeah, well, Mo Martin won. Um, oh, wow. Won a British. Um, One of the great shots in the history of the tournament. My word. Um uh, Uni G uh, won a US Open as well, Women's Open. So, yeah, I've had a and I have one young lady who um, um, who won four four events on the Korean LPGA in a row, and I was there for every one of the wins. Um, now I can't even think of a name. How am I travelling? <laughs> it, it's it's like not um, disparaging. It's like a great golfer's factory that Korean LPGA, isn't it? Oh a, yes, without a doubt, without just a doubt. Staggering. Yes, 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 yes. So um, uh, Q Beck was her name, and Q um, actually had some troubles with her her back, and she was getting treated all the time. And but then her dad decided to do get surgery done. I said, no, don't don't no surgery, please. You know, bring her out to Australia. I get her with the leading surgeons or leading 
people and, and see if there's anything we can do with exercise and what have you. But he went ahead and she went from 11 to the world to yeah. not even playing. So Best name golf, a single letter Q. Q back. Yes. I watched a play down at the Vic Open, I think. Yes. Like. So Phenomenal player. Great player, yeah. So really enjoyed working with her. She was a really bubbly, down-to-earth individual who could really play. But, yeah, career finished very quickly. Which can happen to almost anybody, kind of. We My forget word. golf is a sport, but it doesn't take much. Certainly a wrist, yep. knee, yes. ankle. Yep. Uh, it's all mm. crucial in this, uh, in this, this modern, yep. very physical sort of game. All yep. of that, and mm. is success. That's success. Mm. You, you're working with the very best players in the world. Mm. They're having success. They're winning mm. the biggest events. Is that what success looked like to you? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I have success... You know, lots of times with just the club members, and um, do you still work with a lot of? Oh yes, I do. Double-digit so, handicap. Yes, I do. Anyone who you know wants to spend some time with me, I'm just there, ready. I love it. So it's um, a sickness, I, know, don't you? <laughs> to go from coaching U.S. Open winners to 27 markers—that's an illness. Yeah, it's, it's basically just being able to help people. You know, they're, they're really struggling and trying to trying to get better at a very difficult game. So. It's a real thrill being able to have, hopefully, a couple of little keys that you can help that individual with. Mm. Success breeds success as well. Mm. And then it starts, and we see this a lot with golf. One mm. player has success, mm. yeah, everybody wants to go and work with that player's coach. Mm. Yes. Which doesn't say anything about the quality of the coach either way, I don't think, necessarily. Mm. We see these trends in golf. You do, yes. Players are fickle, aren't they? <laughs> very much so, yes. They're very... We see this with mm. Brad Hughes at the moment, who's mm. having great success with a lot of players, mm. working with a lot of players. Yes, yes. Brad's a, a fabulous bloke and a former player. Mm. Do you have to be careful of that? We saw this happen with Ledbetter, I think, a bit in the 80s and 90s. He became the guru, Yes. which Harmon's mm. probably had a bit of that over the years, though, yep. from a different sort of a background. Do you mm-hmm. sense that? And what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, look, I, I, um, I haven't really gone down that track. You know, I basically... Um, yeah. I, um, Could there be Ian Triggs golf schools all over the world, should you oh, want to? Oh, no. I'd, I'd, I don't want that to happen, to tell you the truth. I'd rather just have the individual contact with players. And um, I've been more of a, you know, just dealing with each one individually. That's how, I, how, I, how I've been. So I, just, I don't know. I just don't feel as though um, I have the systems to, to go and do that. I'm more of a one-on-one individual with it. Why you do it, perhaps, would be the answer to that question. I'm sure you could do it. Yeah, I think it's available to you. I think you can. You can, you know... Um, I would go to an Antrig school in Sydney, I'm sure. Yes, yep. But I just feel as though you, you once you do that, um, so much education you've got to give the coaches to actually go and have the same passion and the same want and desire to... You have to trust them implicitly, don't you? Absolutely. It's your, it's your name. Absolutely. So uh, they have to be 100% yeah. in line with what you think. Yes, and I, I just don't think... It just takes so many years to understand an individual when they come for a lesson and be able to look at them and, and, and see their personality and not only just their golf swing, but there's a whole myriad of things there that you need to be aware of to... What sorts of things? What do you look for? If I came to you for a lesson, what would be the first thing that would happen? Oh, well, basically, I just start talking and just see where you're at and, and, and what you're wanting from the game and, and, and just seeing, you know, whether, um, you know, there's a lot of high anxiety going on or whether there's a calmness there and, and, and lots of times just giving them a, a different routine rather than, um, you know, and, and getting them to go out and get their mind quieter and 
do a better job out on the course can actually save them 10 shots around, let alone going in and starting to mess technically. So there's, there's a, you know, just giving them a better knowledge of how to play the game in lots of ways rather than, you know, just messing technically. Hmm. Dan Cullen once told me that he could tell you if somebody could play golf by watching them walk to the tee. Is that true? Yes, yes and no. Yes, you can see some good good athletes, but then there's a couple that will come along that surprise you. <laughs> surprise you. <Yep. laughs> fall over on their way to the tee, then strike one down the middle. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we're back to that that question about the swing, I guess, and the other mm. ones. I'm not sure we ever really answered it. Is there mm. anything in that, what I'm sort of suggesting there? Do people get obsessed with the swing as the key to success and ignore other things that are perhaps at least as or maybe not more important? Yeah, I think you need to – you need to be the two things that needs to happen. You need to become your own best coach. You need to understand your your golf swing and why it why it doesn't work, why it does work, and then you need to get an understanding of when you do quality mental work, why you hit it so well. So there's lots of people out there who, you know, there's some average patterns out there that are being very successful through the process of high quality mental involvement and letting their instincts work. So an example that we might immediately connect with is there well, a player we could think of that's perhaps unorthodox but been successful yeah i mean you, you're basically looking at someone like uh dustin johnson i mean you know how how he could ever pitch a ball was just quite amazing but with a with the bowed wrist aspect that he has the club face is way shut and it's always he was such a bad pitcher when he first came out there but he's found a way through just visualization and having total trust in what he's doing to still be able to pitch the ball very very well so you think well, how can that happen you know technically you'd want the face a lot more neutral than that and you'd want to be able to present it you know consistently but when it's so shut like that fine in dynamics you can unwind your body strongly and hold the face off and play with a fade like he does but how did he get that good at pitching you know so there's got to be some real mental things going on there to be able to achieve that so he has a great feel for what he wants to do with the flight and he has a great feel of impact relative to that flight even though his mechanics are poor so he couldn't explain that could he if you asked him he would have no, no concept of no any of the things you're what, talking about absolutely because he he just goes and plays i just gonna, i'm going to hit that shot i'm going to hit that shot that's all i need to do is think about that shot and i can hit that shot he doesn't know that he actually has it so shut or and he makes a major you know, recovery on the way down to fix it all up and produce the flight he wants. And planting the seed in his mind that he's doing that. I think it would be the, dangerous. That's the, isn't it? It's the path that yes. you probably were taken on. Mm, Somebody told absolutely. you something about your swing that you need to fix that because it's doing yes. that. And now yes. you're not thinking about what you want to do, thinking about what might be going wrong. Absolutely. So I think that that's, you know, very important that, that, that people, all people, not just players, but everyone gets... Um, you know, if they've reached the stage of development, they've got a pattern that works pretty well on most occasions. They need to understand their own swing and why it produces the flight it does. And then they can get down to doing the high-quality involvement, really picturing the shot, really feeling the shot, and then having their mind so quiet and they've got great clarity with their eyes, they can actually see the ball. And if you can see the ball during the swing, I mean, we've all talked about watch the ball. I mean, it's the most critical factor in golf. If you don't see the ball on the way down, your mind will not be able to retain the shape of the shot, will not be able to retain the target. Once your mind is busy, you lose that awareness. You lose it. So 
Is this true of all players or everybody. only of good players? Everybody. So if I'm off 20, yep. these same yes. basic principles of My word. What do you mean by see the ball? Now I'm intrigued. Yes. You well, see the ball during the – you must see the ball. You're looking down at the bloody no, thing. No, you don't because it, what happens to the majority of people is our brains are so busy, we're trying so hard, we're living in a lifestyle where we're so – running around in circles so busy that we, we don't know how to have single thoughts. Our mind is so – crazy racing around everything all the time we're made busy by all the modern phones and everything basically if you have clarity and you've got quietness mentally you will see the ball on the downswing you'll see it in transition and you'll see it on the down but i can bet that majority of players who play today whether they're 26 marker or two marker they don't see the ball in transition because their mind's so busy they're looking at it but they can't see it there's, there's a blackboard a, across the eyes. There's a difference between looking and seeing. Absolutely. Like, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Absolutely. <laughs> same sort of, same idea, sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Can you work on that? Can you? Oh, yes. You need to train on it. And that's the very thing that Noel Blundell did with, Dr. Noel did with uh, Roger Davis. He spent all day. I was there with it. We'd mark the ball with a little dot, put it down with a dot up, and Roger would hit the ball watching the little dot. And we just did that all the time. So he's getting his mind as quiet as possible seeing the dot and all of a sudden everything and then on the putting green the same thing getting getting involved very well very quietly and then seeing the dot bang and trusting the instincts trusting the patterns allow the talent you know you have to do the job that it, you know it can do totally reactive totally instinctive yeah that's amazing mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken did not both michael campbell and ernie ells not not long before winning majors mm-hmm. Got involved in some eye exercises, a lot of work with the eyes. I'm sure Ernie did. Mm, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised. I don't, don't remember. Mm-hmm. Tracking, working on the eye muscles. And, yes, yeah, yes. Really yeah. quite extraordinary. And I'm sure mm. Michael Campbell's talked about it being okay. the difference between yes. the, yep. you know, winning that US Open, yes. being able to hold on until the end. Mm. And, you know, these are things we never think. We don't read this in the magazines, Ian. We don't Not read it all. in the golf coaching books. No. I mean, surely what we need is to get the club in position here and it's got to be on plane there and mm. face it and the wrist mm. has to do that. That's the key to good golf, isn't it? This stuff you're talking about is all hippie nonsense, isn't it? Not at all, you know. Is this what you work on with tour players? Oh, my word. Wow. In fact, I'll talk to you about a player um, in six months' time. Not now. (laughs) (laughs) Once you fix them? (laughs) Do you see a lot of that? Players with extraordinary talent that have got themselves in a Perhaps a bad pattern or a bad path or a bad mental space who's... Without a doubt. I mean, like just what see, happened to you, by the sound. Oh, without, I just see so many like that, yeah. It's, it's you know, highly talented athletes um, can do anything with it and then when they go out to play, it's like, who is this player? They're just, they're just not in the right space and they don't know how to get there. Is it fear? Is it as simple as fear or an emotion? Um, look, it, there's both combined. They're... they're, they're they don't have a great deal of trust in their patterns, in their swing pattern, so they then start blaming the swing all the time and they never really get to be aware, first of all, of where they were mentally during that shot or shots. And um, so they always going back to, like you said, it's the swing that's the problem when in actual fact it's not at all because the brain fixes up the one degrees. The incredible thing about the brain, if you're going to stand up there and hit a little draw or a little fade at elite level, they're so in tune and such highly wired that they can produce it so easily. But if they're there and they're working on technique, they can't produce it. Fairly certain Brad Faxon 
Now, what was it? Golf not a, not is golf's not a game of perfect. Bob Rotella talked about watching the television yes. with yes. with Faxon and Faxon mm. that he had no idea about opening and closing stances. If he wanted to hit a draw, he just hit a draw. Yes, he would do all of those things. I know, but he wouldn't do them to produce a draw. No, he just want to hit a draw, and his body would. React automatically a, do that absolutely there's an order and a truth. sequence of things isn't there yeah my word Dustin Johnson obviously does it mm. instinctively doesn't it? as yes. you say he's got no right to hit a golf shot no. of any quality from the position he has yeah, at the absolutely. top and yet he's been the world's number one player for a fair while now yeah, some yeah. considerable time mm. what about playing the game Ian mm. there's personality about that isn't there that mm-hmm. the playing of the game is not really about the hitting of the shots it kind of is but the way people express themselves and play on the golf course. So mm. your news is a completely different character to Elvis Smiley mm. Mm. Um, or you know, most of the other players you've worked at. Mm. What do you work on in those areas or do you work on anything? No, not really. I just try and let them be themselves basically and, um, you know, you mean in, in – in way they attack the golf course, yeah, as the well, way they play. Yeah. So, mm. if you think of Scott Hend, mm. just an extraordinarily aggressive player, yes, yeah, at yeah, all totally, times. totally, yeah, yes, yes, totally to his been. detriment at times, mm. and, and and often enough that he's made a living playing the mm. game mm. and done very nicely, yes, and that sort of that suits him. Mm. Phil Mickelson's probably a prime example. How many yes. times has he been told, "Be more conservative, don't play the risky, crazy shots"? You'll have won a whole lot more. Is that true, or does Phil need to play like Phil, or he can't play at all? I think that that's the truth. I think he's got to play like Phil because basically he'll win one week and miss the next three cuts, and that's what he's done his whole career. You know, when he gets it together and uh, he's in the right space and got trust and belief that given week he's damn impossible to beat. And give him, you know, give him a shot that's impossible to play with a flop shot and he'll hit it to two feet. He's an amazing, amazing Good. individual. Yeah. He's on the PGA, 50 years old. Good oh. Lord, you can't speak highly enough. No, what an no, achievement that is. Those of us who've gone past 50 yeah. have an understanding of yeah, what yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that is as, as yes. an achievement. Mm. I've heard it sometimes said of Greg Norman, and I think it's mm. probably true sometimes of Bubba Watson. You can confirm whether this is the case. The most difficult shot for players with that much talent, and Mickelson might be the same, is the extremely straightforward nine iron. Mm. No requirement to do anything. Yeah. The more obstacles you put in their way, the more focus they get and the better they play. Absolutely. Anything in that? And where does that come from, do you think? Well, basically, you just have to do more homework. When you've got a really tough shot, I mean, I've seen it with all the athletes I've worked with, is that basically you give them a two-foot hole up through the trees, really difficult. They've got to, you know, hit a, hit a ball up high through that gap. And the work they do mentally behind it is like, Unbelievable! Like the involvement, the feel work, you can see it pouring off their body in bingo. They pull it off, bang, straight through the gap on the green, great shot. Fair in the middle of the fairway, wedge, just a nice simple 90-metre shot. Don't do anywhere near the creative involvement and feel work that re- is required. And they hit it to 15 feet, 20 feet, and they're really angry with themselves. But they just haven't done the creative quality work to produce it, the outcome that they're after. The mental pictures are so – the higher up you go in the game, the better you get, the more important they become, don't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. You have to have a picture of what Yes, yes, do. yes. And, a, and a, a related feel. You've got to – so the more – you know, it's more of a surprise to see them hit a simple shot close than, than, than a really difficult one. You get into real trouble and some of the shots when I was working – I can remember Pete Senior at the um, Huntingdale, he hit it down the right side on 18 into trouble the year he won. And Which one? He won a couple of them. Yes, I know. And, <laughs> the uh, one he won when he was 56? <laughs> wasn't that a feat? Goodness me. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. So that was his early one when he was challenging when Greg and him were going head to, head to tail, bashing one another out there. So it was exciting to watch. And um, 
you hit it in, in the rubbish and you, I, I walk past the ball I thought oh there's no way you can get that out bang on the green you just go not possible but they, they just have that ability to you know work out that what they're going to do and then to actually Somehow do to, it. Do, to do it yeah i saw him hit a similar one at terry hills in the cannon challenge which he won a mm, bunch of times yes. as well from down the left hand side of the 17th the ball was legitimately dead yes you know, it was a drop yes he took a two on and smacked it on the green somehow i was like yeah. how did you do that i know i know just unbelievable that's why mm. they're them yeah that's and we write about them that's right <laughs> you could have been them though ian when you look back, mm. could you have been? Sounds like you were good enough, young enough, that you had the tools. There's no guarantees in this game. You would have seen yeah. 100 can't-miss kids in your time, and that's a very dangerous thing to lump onto people. But could you have been? Um, Do you ever I lament? don't think I you – know, when I look back at it, I just think my um, perfectionism, um, probably a little bit over the top. Um, All good players have that, though, don't they? Yeah, well, they do. I mean, uh, you know, perfectionism creates champions, but it can also destroy them. Tiger's um, taken his swing apart three times. and put Yes, I know, I know. The yeah. first one was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know why he ever touched it. I remember watching him at 19. But, no, I, I, I just think also uh, my emotional control just wasn't, wasn't good enough. It would have taken me a, a while to stay out there to get that better. Questionable. Uh, certainly at the age of 15, yeah, and, you know, early early in my, my uh, interstate stuff, uh, you know, playing against all the best players in the country, I handled all that. I was winning all the matches. So, so but, yeah, as soon as – yeah, it's hard to know. You know, hard, yeah. as, soon as, as soon as the wheels fell off, I certainly didn't – Change path. Yes, I, I couldn't get back there at that stage. But I, like I said to you, when I – I went up to my old home club when I was 35. They had the, the Pro-Am up there, 36 hole, and I went up there and shot 66, 65, finished second to Pete Senior. So I thought, well, okay, I've no found, shame in that, I've is found a, lot of, a lot of answers that I was missing at 20. Yes. Partly answered my next question was, what, what's your relationship with the game now? Look, I don't play a great deal now. But, um, you know, a choice or...? Well, a very busy life. I have five children um, and Lord, um, 12. You need to set up those schools. You can't afford five children. They cost a fortune. <laughs> and uh, 12 grandkids. Wow. That's so, a Christmas. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so basically we got a, a beautiful large family. You're and, a daycare uh, centre is what you are. <laughs> it feels like that at times. <laughs> yeah. So, no, we're very, very, very fortunate. And um, I look, I'll, I'll try to start playing a little bit more, I think, towards – Next few years, but um, yeah, but at the moment, pretty busy. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Do you ever lament? These are sort of impossible questions to answer, but it's nice to explore these things. Do you ever lament what could have been or what might have been? You've had this life in golf, which has been an extraordinary one. It's been fantastic. Does it ever? Do you ever wonder what if it could have been? Yeah, I would have loved to have found out. Yeah, but yeah, it wasn't meant to be. But I would have loved to have found out whether. You know, I can always remember in one of the comps we had at Bagara, one of the young guys who was um, one of my friends who we trained and competed together a lot. And, you know, he was a four handicapper and I was on on plus, plus three and he went out and shot 66 in the morning. And I said to my dad, Dennis can't do that. That's just, I, that's, I'm, you know, I'm better than that. I'm, I'm going to shoot 65 to serve. And that's what I did. So, so he won the net. <laughs> he won the net by <laughs> by the next suburb, um, but um, you know, at, at that stage, I was 
you know, I look at Elvis and I just see this, um, um, you know, this incredible uh, strength mentally and the way he can, okay, I'm going to go and do this. And, and I had that back then, um, but I certainly lost it very quickly. <laughs> if you have anything that's a bit different, I think of Jim Furyk, Dustin Johnson, we've already talked about, Matthew Wolfe, mm. you need to have a certain amount of intestinal fortitude to withstand because it doesn't take long for people to start giving you advice, does it? It's just on every corner. I mean, that's the that's the hard part. You've got to you've got to have no ears. And uh, I think that was the other problem for me is that basically I, you know, if someone said do this, uh, well, jump one foot, well, I'd jump twelve feet. So you know, I was, you know, just always overdid things as well in my in my training. So those guys have got to just have so much inner strength and so much trust within themselves to uh, not listen. Yeah, yeah. That's a, just that's go about their own. Mm. Part of that champion's mindset, I guess, which is yes. why there's only a few of them. No. <laughs> Very true. As opposed to us all being doing it. Mm. Within all of that, Ian, it's mm. probably the unspoken about thing in golf is money. There's a lot mm. of money floats around in golf. Mm. Part does that play in what you do and have done with your life? Players make the most money at the very top. They make mm. the least money. Mm. The worst place to be in golf mm. is good enough to bounce between the secondary tour and the main tour. Yes. <laughs> because you'd be better off working for a living, frankly, yes, with, my with, word. with what's involved mm-hmm. in that. Mm. What part does that play in decision-making and where you end up in this game in some ways? I think it's huge. I mean, I, I look at my own career and, uh, you know, I could have stayed out there a lot longer and I, even though I was struggling with my game, I played um, the, the uh, sort of... Um, Australian tour which at that stage was a I played probably five events in Australia and then I went up to New Guinea and played and came back and I actually paid my way I never never lost a penny never made a penny but I um, being a secure sort of person who wanted some stability um, um, my wife was working as a physio um, but I couldn't stand that you know I was probably a bit of old school I didn't want to be um, relied on, um, you know, by other people supporting me. So that that would really affected me, and I think that that's that's one area that, that some people would be very affected by. They, you know, being out there trying to get going and the lack of money to keep going, and you win five cents and you hang in there, and it's not um, it's it's not a good thing. You're swimming in it, aren't you? Yes. Let's say, for example, you're a player with a bit of talent. You might mm. not come from great means, and mm. you find yourself in a you mm. one day qualify for a PGA Tour event. Yes, there's yes. a chance that the people you're standing on the tee with are millionaires. That's right. And there's... Mm. Major There's emotions disparity. go with that, don't there? There's all I, sorts I, of things go with that. Without a doubt. I think there's a lot of young guys and girls who have not gone forward because they've felt that they you know, can't earn enough out of the game, and especially in Australia. I mean, basically, we're so minimal amount of events and the prize money's so small. Imagine if you're a woman. Horrendous. That much worse. Yes, the, totally. The, the prospects totally. of becoming a professional mm. golfer. Hats off to any Australian woman who's playing professionally anywhere it's in the absolutely. world because that yes, takes an extraordinary yes. amount of Well, young Karis at the moment has just flown back to Japan. She's been in quarantine for two weeks and her first tournament's coming up um, next week. And, um, yeah, just uh, up there, got no one to talk to. Uh, playing especially- in anonymity. Nobody from Australia knows what you. Very hard to find the scores, even if you're a mad keen golf fan. Yep. The information. I think she had to travel with an interpreter for the first year you, or you two. You have to. You have to have. You have to have someone, um, a manager who's an interpreter as yeah. well. You cannot be up there. So hats off to her. She's just one tough lady to be able to go and do that. So uh, how yeah. important is that? And in that formative sort of years, 
how important is adversity and learning to deal with it? Does that make sense, that question? Is it important that you have some setbacks and learn to get – I think of Lee Trevino. And yeah, fantastic. Yeah. The player that he became and that mm. very tied up in his personality. Mm. Jack never had those sort of setbacks, yet he was obviously a great player as mm. well. Are they important, those setbacks, or is that an individual? I think individuals handle it very differently, I think. You know, I think um, Karis is tough. I mean, to go and do what she's done up there already, but now it's even tougher going back there during COVID. Um, having a bad time of it in Japan too, aren't they? Oh, they are having a bad time, yeah. So she's, um, you know, she, just talking to her the other day, she's... First time I've heard her down a little tiny bit, so hopefully she can, you know, handle it better. But I think if you get through that and you you develop that toughness, you, you certainly need it for pro sport. You need that you need that toughness to be able to make it. Mm. Mm. What happened to you early in your career with your playing and that sort of thing? Do you think that's helped you in this coaching career? With that some of that adversity sort of idea that I think the only reason I became a good coach was the University of Hard Knocks. Yeah. Because I went went on a searching mission, um, I had to find out why. Mm. So there's a criticism that many will make of the modern system, where the top amateur players are handed everything. Yes, I mean, um, I think it's fine to hand them anything as long as they get some experience from it. In regard that, okay, they, you know, make them book their own airfares, make them book their accommodation, make them do some certain things that are going to help them in their professional careers. Um, but I think in Australia you need to do that. I, I think we're so far removed from the major major tours and what have you that there's got to be some support system if we're going to keep keep the game um, producing in Australia, producing high-level players. I think we have to do it. The public expects it, don't they? They expect yes. that there will always be Australians performing we, well on the world stage in absolutely. golf. Absolutely. So, to this point, yes. we've done reasonably well, but it's not getting any easier, is it, particularly with no home circuit to develop for every champion, you've got to have a field for them to a- beat. <laughs> absolutely. It's really difficult. So, you know, you finish up with you know, only only producing one every, mm. you know, blue moon if that keeps happening. We finish up with not getting many players unless we do support a, a whole crew. I think Golf Australia taking amateurs overseas and giving them experience in the deep end is pretty damn important. Working more closely with the professional tour these days. We just saw an announcement yes, the other day yes. about that. Are you a supporter of that sort of thing? Has to. Yeah, you, very, very much so. It has to all get together. I mean, they're Such. amateur in name only, aren't they? Let's be honest. These days, yes. <laughs> it's, My it's word. A, it's, mm. a, it's a misuse of the word, quite frankly, isn't it? It's really professional in waiting is probably a more accurate <laughs> very des- true. description yeah. of yeah. that. What's yeah. your overall sort of thoughts about golf? Are you optimistic about Australian golf? I, th- I think so. I, I, re- I really feel as though... Um, yeah, there's lots of lots of really good little junior tournaments going on in this state at the moment, even though we're you know sort of still in lockdown. But I think it's we've we've got to keep providing a few tournaments up the up the top end if we can to keep the the enthusiasm. Um, not not necessarily the enthusiasm. I think majority of golfers these days <clears throat> watch the overseas tours, you know, and so. But we need to have those for our own players to compete in and get better. Pay TV's been a 
double-edged sword, hasn't it? It's fantastic yes. to be able to watch the golf all the time. But what mm. it means is mm. if that's not what gets dished up at home, you feel like home golf is second-rate golf and people don't get off their bum and go and watch it and support it. Absolutely. You see those crowds in the 80s from <clears throat> televised tournaments. It's because that was the only golf people got to see apart from maybe one or two of the majors on television. That's, that's so true. Mm. That's now what's we're so spoiled. hard. We're so spoiled totally. If yes. Tiger's yep. not playing, it's not a proper tournament. That that sort of mindset yeah. can, uh, can sort of prevail. Yes. Yeah. That's been happening for a while now. It's 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 tough to kind of blame Tiger for that. In fact, it's not his fault, but kind yes. of is his fault mm. for being just mm. quite as staggeringly special as he was. We all got spoiled, really, didn't we? Wow. Yes. So good. You would have watched him play, I would imagine. Yes, I actually got really lucky. I actually got him in. Um, I went over to the um, U.S. Open at um, Oakland Hills, and um, uh, we went over there with grades. Oh, three. <coughs> Um, Jim Furyk? No. Um, um, now. Not the PGA no, it's back. Duffner one? No, no. This is well before that. Oh, 80s? Yes. 87 maybe? Yes. Did Price have a hole in one? Three yeah. hole in ones on one of the holes there on the yeah, par threes or something? One the- no. Anyway. Anyway, Tiger was 19, 19 years of age. And he played with. Okay, so it must have been in the 90s. He played yeah. with Jack and Palmer. Oh. So I got to watch. I walked six holes with them in the practice round. Of course, round. 96, yeah. Mm. He hit it in the water, hurt his wrist and withdrew. Mm. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah just just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah One yeah. of those players, isn't he? Mm. Do you watch golf differently to the rest of us? Do coaches watch the game differently? You mentioned Noel Mondell sort of could tell you before <clears> someone <throat> hit a shot, he's going to hit a bad shot. Do you watch the game differently? Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah, differently to what I used to. I don't... Um, don't take too much notice of the swings. Uh, <laughs> the commentators? <laughs> no? Sound down? <laughs> Is that what you do? Oh, not necessarily. There's some good ones there. But, uh, yeah, I like the. Um, I like just watching the, the emotions and what's going on and how they're going to handle the situation. It's yeah. the part that television doesn't show us very well, isn't it? When no. you go out to watch the golf and you mm. walk the course, you mm. see so much more mm. of the players and what they're actually feeling than Absolutely. when they cut to them on the tee and yes. all of that stuff's done, yep. the temper tantrums and the screaming at the caddy <laughs> and the, all the other stuff that goes with it. And all of that's really more important, isn't it? Than, yes. Than I, the, I, lo- I love watching seconds. that area and see, see how they can turn it around or not. Yeah. Do you find yourself watching <clears> the golf and thinking, oh, I'd like to work with that player? I could fix them for want of a better term or I could make them better in a very short period of time yes I, 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 I I've actually said that a fair few times yeah watching yes I do do you ever go and approach that player <clears throat> never. and offer your services never never no I I would never ever do that I basically just know that every player out there is working with their own coaches and they'll have a list of things they're working on and the last thing they need is for some old battered coach to come along and tap them on the shoulder and said listen i can fix you they don't need that they've got a they'll have a list of things they're working on themselves to self-improve i think mm. the problem for you and you're too nice to have been a super good golfer <laughs> you haven't got the killer instinct you need to go and grab i did have players. i did have yeah, I can imagine you did. <coughs> in all seriousness what role does that play the killer instinct and being nice and i think you've still got to be you know, golf is still a gentleman's game, and you need to basically <clears throat> have good fist behavior. fighting on the tees in the qualifiers <clears throat> these days. Did you see that story <laughs> yesterday? Yes. Fist fighting on the green. <laughs> that works well. Yeah, dear oh dear, that's certainly very different to our era. So yeah, I, I still think it's uh, you know it res- the game has still needs the respect of um, of what it's had, um, 
and uh, I, I still think you can still have both. You know, you can still uh, look at a player and shake their hand and wish them all the best, but not really mean not it. Not really mean it. <laughs> <laughs> hope you play your best. I just hope I play that little bit better. That's exactly right. Totally. <laughs> no, no greater joy than beating a player who played well. That's a real, uh, that's Man, a real feather. My word. Isn't it? Totally. A couple of things to finish up. You must have seen so many changes in the game in all areas, from the equipment to the coaching equipment to track man to the physiology the the physiotherapy the biology of the body and the things that you understand about biomechanics has it all been for the good no it hasn't all been for the good i think the game um the game has gone backwards in a few areas i think the equipment's far too um leveling the field i think it's basically um with the ball being so um um, you know, before it was so responsive to, to poor. Um, if you hit the ball poorly, you got a you got a poor result. Um, you and I can still get poor results, no matter what's what the ball me, like. Ian, I'll show you some poor results <laughs> that maybe you haven't even ever seen before. <laughs> but so I, 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 you know, I don't like that the equipment's been able to do that. Um, golf courses have become way too long um, for us. For for us, it's still too short for Elvis. It's just crazy how far the young guys hit it today. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't like all of that. I think that they've destroyed the the records of what golf courses did produce because of that scenario. Um, I think you need to be very careful of all the modern technology um, in regard to um, you know it's it's got its place and it can really help in in um, giving giving back good information, but you wouldn't live and die by it. I think you've got to be so careful. Every player carries a track man these days, every player of any sort of note. What's your take on track man? I imagine you use it, I assume. Yes, well, track, like track, man's, track man will be you know, really good to help you with the modern equipment where you can change the, the shafts and the uh, sorts of things you do to, to improve the flight of that individual, which I, you know, like I said to you, I have questions about that. Um, rather than them, in the olden days, they refined their swing patterns to produce the flight that was required. You with see what the ball does, change something, and see what it does differently. Absolutely. So they actually, you know, produce the swing pattern to give you the ideal flights that they were chasing. Whereas rather just go and change the equipment these days. So very different. Um, I think if you, you know, on the range and you're living and dying by the one degree differences on the track, man, I think you're going down a poor track um, because you're getting. You know, far too much aware of what you're actually doing, uh, rather than being more, you know, instinctive and out with your with your uh, vision and feels. Playing golf uh, swing rather than golf. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, I, that, that's that's my thoughts. I, I, you know, I. Um, but if you use it smart, good luck to you. Hmm. Having worked with so many really good players, is there one common trait across all of them that you could point to? Do they all just? Yeah. All the different personalities, from Elvis to Karras mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Sayon Yu to Kari to John Sendon to Rachel Hetherington, all totally different people. Is there a common trait? Yeah, they all want to win. Yeah. Yes, they're all all um, all highly competitive, um, driven, driven, want to win, high work ethic. Most of them um, don't accept poor. <laughs> Um, from you or for that? Yeah, yeah. That? Demand, demand yeah. is huge. Uh, can be, um, you know, it, it's really interesting to watch the 
the different personalities, but they've all got those sorts of those sorts of traits. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And what role can success play in that? Because being driven, mm-hmm. then you achieve a goal. There could be some dangers there, can't there? Well, without a doubt. I mean, you've got to. Yeah, you know, that's another thing. You've got to reset all the time. You've got to, you know, keep chasing. It's uh, as soon as you stop, someone's going to go straight past you. So they they all tend to have good resets and and uh, keep keep striving. Because mm. the extraordinary thing to me about Tiger and Jack in particular mm. is that to maintain the drive mm. to keep wanting to win. There's nothing left to amass, certainly for Tiger. He could have walked away after the mm. scandal in 2010. He had more yes. than enough money to live on for the rest of his life and another two. Yes. So that that drive, I don't know, mm, can you incredible. teach that or you've got to be no, born I think with that? No, I think you're just born with that and that's something you really want to achieve. So, yeah, they're just so so driven, yeah. that sort of guy. It's yeah. often said of those people, it wouldn't mm. matter what they picked to do for a living. Yes. They would get somewhere get near the top of it. Without a doubt. Because yep. of just mindset. Yes, I agree with you. Mm. Last couple of things. Uh, what do us amateurs do wrong mostly? Those of us that are genuinely hopeless at the game. You've seen enough of us. Is there anything simple you can tell us to help us? Yeah, I think you've got to you've got to warm up nicely when you go to the range. You've got to. Sorry, you. Yes, you've made it, your first mistake here, Ian. What do you mean go to the range? Yeah, either either that or even at home, just having a few swings before you head out. I mean, you know, it's pretty tough. I mean, a lot of people living in apartments and things these days, but just getting some great feel of your body and arms working together, you know, lovely coordination, and then um, nothing more than that, basically, just getting a feel of as your body's rotating, your arms are travelling with your body, and, you know, if you can touch the ground, if you get a chance beside the tee, and then it's a matter of picturing what you want. You haven't even mentioned the out-of-bounds, the water hazard no, down no the left, the bunker short of the green. None of that's, none of that's there. Any of that's <laughs> <laughs> it all sounds so silly. Yes. I think in golf the one overarching statement you can make mm. is that everything about this game is easier said than done. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, the discipline required to play well is huge, and that's yeah, you know, that's the tough part for all of us is to actually, okay, he said, go out there and feel your body arm coordination. Okay, that feels good. But then stand up on the tee and say, well, please man. go straight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what did Montgomery say about the Ryder Cup? It was the first time in years he'd stood on the tee and thought to himself, for God's sake, just make some sort of contact. That's yeah. how nervous he was that Absolutely. that became an option. You yes. might actually have an air swing yes. here, which is uh, – totally, totally. And then he no doubt striped it down yes. the middle because that's what they do. Last thing from me, and you, know, you might have heard this word many times over your time. We all could have said it. If I could just be more consistent, do we really mm. want that as golfers? Is consistency something we should strive for? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, um, you know, if you can get consistency, you can play the game well. I mean, you just position the ball nicely – whatever length you hit it or whatever shape you hit but you're consistent in your shape and you leave it wherever and you can plot yourself around the course nicely and enjoy your day it's very vanilla though isn't it well it is i mean there's no um no real excitement in it but um flop shots (laughs) driver across the water (laughs) fun stuff that we play for yeah totally i mean uh i think you can i think on certain events you could actually go out there and say okay i'm going to go and play today and just see if I can be consistent. Put use what I've got. My shape's this shape. I'm going to play it in position. But it is boring. I mean, you you know get to one hole and you think, oh man, if I 
you know, I just need <laughs> to hit really another five yards and I can just cross it right. here. <laughs> Which is the job of the golf course, isn't it? Which you touched that's on earlier. That's absolutely. To that's tempt you into those decisions. Those challenges. My word, make. yeah. This really is the last one. Do yes. we take the game too seriously, all of us across the board? Um, good question. I, I really... Um, I think I think there's a, a lot of a lot of people who do take it too too seriously because you you um, you watch the club championship. I mean, it, they go out every Saturday. The card goes in the pocket, and they go and play, and they enjoy their day out there. And club <laughs> club championship. The whole week before, guys are turning up the range you haven't seen in a year, and the card goes in the pocket with championship <laughs> on it, and it's like, come on, you know, you get out there, and the course has been mown, the greens are grease lightning, yeah. and the Come in, you go up on the scoreboard, and the scores are so high. So yeah, I think you know, I think the whole thing is uh, sometimes there's a group of people who certainly do take it very seriously. Yeah. If it stops being fun, it stops being golf. I think I. I think so. I think you need to look at it that way because it is it is a, it's a supposed tough... to be the escape, isn't it? You work all week to have stress. <laughs> Give yourself the weekend off to play don't, golf. What's the old saying? You don't play golf for relaxation. You relax to play. golf. Relax to play golf. That's exactly right. <laughs> Lovely note to leave it on. Great advice, everybody. Thank you, and really appreciate you taking. Thanks very much, Rod. Yeah. Good job. It's the sort of interview that you could go back and replay once a year and you'll come away with a new nugget of wisdom every time that you've missed on the previous listen. As always, a big thanks to Ian for being so generous with his time and knowledge. That's it for episode 48, but I hope you've made the effort to follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app because there's a real treat in store for episode 49. The next morning when I came to... Which, which there's a very distinct difference between waking up and coming. To, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I sat on the edge of my bed going, what happened? I don't know how long I sat there. It was, it was a while before I even remembered I won a tournament. John Huggan catches up with one of the game's most recognisable voices, Roger Maltby. That's next time on The Thing About Golf. <laughs> <laughs>